stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Director of ETF Research, Nina Mishra, to talk about uh, one of our favorite topics that we've been talking behind the scenes about for a few weeks now, and these are the unique and unusual ETFs. What's going on with the specialty niche ETF world? What new and exciting ETFs have launched? What are some of the favorites that are still out there? And unfortunately, which ones have been liquidated or shut down? Because that's been happening too. So welcome, Nina. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic and uh, I'm really excited about this discussion. Yeah, me too. So for all of you who are listening, we do have the video podcast happening again this week on this podcast so that you can see some of the charts. We're going to show some of the holdings on these ETFs and, you know, some some interesting stuff off of Zax.com. So if you want to tune in to see the visuals, you can find this video at Zax.com slash YouTube. That'll take you right to our YouTube page and you can find it there. But for everybody else just listening in, uh, we're going to do our best to give you as much detail as possible about what is being shown on the screen as well. But uh, that being said, and uh, now that we've taken care of that little stuff, Nina, uh, this all started because I saw in the news that the Jim Cramer long ETF that they launched only five months ago was shut down. <laughs> so people not, might not remember, they launched a long Jim Cramer ETF and the short Jim Cramer ETF. And the long one, nobody cared, apparently. I guess it only took in $1.2 million in assets which is, it might sound like a lot to the average person, but that's that's almost nothing in the ETF world. And so they, they threw in the towel real quick on that one, but they are still running the short uh, Jim Cramer ETF. And I didn't have time to look and see how much assets is in that one, but it is doing slightly better, I believe. So uh, what what goes on when, you know, someone launches one of these niche ETFs and then it, it doesn't do well? Is this common to just kind of throw in the towel like this quickly within five months? Yes. Uh, so let's uh, uh, take a step back and uh, I remind our listeners that 2020 was, in fact, the we can call it the year of thematic ETFs. So all the themes like cloud computing, online shopping, uh, uh, driverless cars, EVs, uh, big data, cybersecurity, all these kinds of ETFs, meme ETF, trend-following ETF, uh, they saw a lot of attention, a lot of interest from investors in 2020 in the post-pandemic boom. Uh, we saw a boom on retail, boom in retail tra trading too. Uh, so the driven by all the meme mania and Robinhood uh, trading crowds. So a lot of thematic ETFs 
launched in 2020 and 2021 uh, as well. Because, you know, you think about a theme, you plan something, then it takes, takes time to file and then get approval by the SEC and bring that product to market. So in 2020 and 2021, a lot of thematic ETFs launched, but 2022 was brutal for many of these things, themes, uh, particularly those associated with high growth, uh, high beta stocks. So many of these providers, they struggled with these thematic ETFs uh, last year. Uh, so for a bigger provider, just say like State Street or BlackRock, they also launched some of the thematic ETFs. So for them, it is very easy to run a loss-making ETF because they have other hundreds of uh, ETFs that are making a lot of money. But for a smaller provider who has just one, two or three ETFs, it is very difficult to run a loss-making product. So these ETFs, if they did not see interest from investors or if uh, you know their performance was terrible last year and in investors withdrew their money, so for them it was very difficult to run those ETFs. So Bloomberg reported recently that uh, this year so far investors have pulled 2.6 billion out of thematic ETFs, and that is the worst year of outflows going back to 2001. And the, the article pointed out that in 2020 and 2021, these thematic ETFs had taken in more than 94 billion in combined inflows. And uh, one of the poster ch children, one of the, the poster child for these uh, uh, lack of interest in thematic ETFs is the ARK, ARK ETF. So despite its uh, impressive performance this year, which is driven mainly by AI mania and anything related to AI has surged this year, but investors are just not interested. They are not putting money into these thematic ETFs, even if those which are uh, doing well. And uh, closure has surged so that there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that globally ETF closure, uh, fund closure, so that includes uh, other types of uh, like mutual funds as well, that has climbed to 929 year to date in 2023. And uh, that is from 373 at the same point last year. So a big surge in closures too. So the main reason is that because many of these ETFs suffered last year and investors are not interested. So for providers, smaller providers, it is very difficult to run those products. Now going back to your point regarding LGM and SGM, the long, long Kramer tracker ETF and the short Kramer tracker ETF. So when, the, when I saw these filings, uh, I thought it was just a gimmick and these ETFs will not launch, but they actually launched. And uh, I had Matt Tettle on my podcast and he explained how these work. So he has people sitting in front of TV actually and watching everything that Kramer does and they note down what he's saying. He's saying bye, bye, bye here. He's saying sell, sell, sell here or saying something positive about one particular stock. So these are very interesting ideas and we know that they are people who, there are many haters, Kramer haters, more haters than, than lovers. <laughs> so so as, as an idea, it, it was funny. It made a lot of sense. 
investments. It sounded interesting, but you know, uh, tracking those investments like that, uh, it means that the turnover will be very, very high and the performance is going to suffer. So these kind of uh, EDFs, you know, they, they may be, this may sound interesting, but they are not exactly great investment ideas, whether you believe that Kramer is a great uh, investor, a very smart investor, an investment advisor, or he's, he's the worst. <laughs> uh, but these are, these are not actionable investment ideas. And one, uh, one uh, idea that I had liked and uh, I would like to mention is that when I saw the filings uh, and the launch of unusual whales ETFs, the one which tracks the portfolios of democratic lawmakers, and the ticker symbol is NANS, N-A-N-C, and uh, the other ETF uh, which tracks the portfolio of Republican lawmakers, the ticker symbol is CRUZ, K-R-U-Z. So those uh, unusual whales has been quite active on Twitter and they had posted uh, uh, two research reports which showed that the portfolios of these lawmakers, policy makers, they do much better than our portfolios. They, they outperform the broader indexes. Uh, and uh, maybe these guys are just too smart or lucky too, because we know that to succeed uh, in uh, timing the market, you not you don't, uh, you have to be lucky as well as very smart, even then timing the market is not easy. So if these uh, people, that uh, the, uh, the Congress people, they were able to beat the market, so maybe they know something more than we do, we, though, we, though it's, we, there is no proof that they acted on uh, insider information. But Yes, their portfolios did very well. So those uh, uh, those ETFs, I I was interested on in those ETFs and see what those ETFs were holding. But again, tracking someone's portfolio is not easy. There is a time gap between someone uh, between a trade and when it is uh, reported to the authorities, and uh, then you buy that uh, you the buy that or sell that particular stock, but by that time the action may already be over so so these are just uh, you know funny weird ideas but not exactly investment great investment themes right but let's expand a little bit on the unusual whales uh etfs that you just mentioned because some people might not be on twitter and you know following what this story is so basically uh, for several years now, there's been complaints that some of the congressmen have been uh, trading on is issues going on on Capitol Hill, like that some congressmen or senators were trading ahead of COVID, for instance, um, and that, it, you know, or they're on some committee that's approving money for a defense project and they're buying the defense contractors on the side, uh, things like that. And so a lot of people have complained about it over the years. And especially with a few people like Nancy Pelosi, her, uh, her investment portfolio seems to be fairly active. And the congressmen do have to file, uh, you know, disclosure forms that, as you mentioned, show kind of what the trades are, but it's not, you know, there is a timing issue. They, they don't have to do it within 48 hours, I don't think, like the SEC makes the insiders. So you don't really know for sure when they're getting in and out or all that stuff. But people do 
like the idea of either being able to track this stuff so they can short it or to go long. Because as you said, some of them have a pretty good track record on like what their portfolios are doing. And so why not like try to follow along with what Nancy Pelosi or her investment advisor is doing with her portfolio. So I was curious about the Democratic one. Well, on both of them, but let's start with the Democratic one. It is the ticker N-A-N-C because it is supposed to be for Nancy Pelosi uh, because she's kind of the one who's always called out the most on the Democratic side. Uh, for her trading or her portfolio, but what is in what is in this? Because they do have to go in kind of like we discussed about having someone sit in front of CNBC to watch Jim Cramer. They do have to go in and see the filings that the congressmen have to make and then buy whatever is in there, right? Like, yes. but what is it? So let's take a look at uh, the unusual whales Democratic ETF, ticker symbol that we mentioned was NANS. Uh, very interesting ticker symbol, but, uh, you know, it makes sense too. So this is very top heavy and very much concentrated in the Magnificent Seven, which is uh, kind of surprising. So Microsoft accounts for almost 11% of the portfolio and then 8% in Amazon, 7% in Apple. And then you see this uh, 6% in a short-term bond ETF, uh, which is not surprising because of the juicy yields. Short-term bond ETFs have seen a lot of interest and there is not much duration risk either. Then you say Salesforce, Alphabet, NVIDIA, and Tesla as well. So all big tech ETFs or stocks are there. Now let's take a look at what uh, the other side, the Republican ETF holds. So the ticker symbol is Cruz. And uh, where are the holdings? So this is heavy in energy, and this is not uh, very concentrated, not as top heavy as Nance ETF. So ConocoPhillips is about 3% of the portfolio, and then you see Accenture, Shell, and a lot more energy names, NGL Energy, uh, and you also see Philip Morris, interesting. Amazon, Intel, and PayPal, FedEx are also there in the top 10 holdings. Now, do we know who exactly is in this? Obviously, it's, you know, named after Nancy and Ted Cruz on the other side. But, I mean, do they have like 20 different politicians that they track? Is it just one? Is it just each of them? Because I would think that would matter on which portfolios they're looking at. Because, I mean, just looking at this for the Republican one, uh, there's a lot of energy in there, as you mentioned, and obviously Ted Cruz is from Texas. That might make sense that his portfolio is investing in these companies that you know do a lot of business there. Uh, the other one, the Nance one, she's in San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi. So it might make sense that she's also in a lot of the tech companies, but obviously not all the names you mentioned because Microsoft and Amazon are both headquartered in Seattle. So that doesn't totally fall into place, but I'm just curious on how do they, are they only looking at 
one portfolio or is it multiple ones? Do we know? It is multiple, multiple portfolios. So I'm showing the uh, overview of the ETF, uh, which shows its strategy. So it basically invests in equities, securities purchased or sold by Democratic members of Congress as well as their spouses. So they have to file uh, uh, all the trades made by either themselves or by their spouses. So it tracks all uh, all those uh, Congress uh, people, all members of Congress. Not 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 only it's not only Nancy's uh, Nancy Pelosi's portfolio. So, but I guess uh, some of the members of Congress are very active. And uh, those who are active, they are they are really they do a lot of trading. So uh, I do not know how many uh, members of Congress's portfolio these ETFs are tracking, uh, but uh, they must be many. Now, do we know if one of them is more popular than the other? Are, are more investors buying, you know, the Democratic one versus the Republican, or vice versa? You know, it, or the, do they have about the same? So both haven't seen a lot of interest, uh, but uh, I think uh, Nance has more assets uh, than uh, the Cruise One. Uh, let me check the assets uh, real quick, uh, but if I remember correctly, but both of them are really small and the performance has lagged because as, you, as we mentioned, uh, tracking is not easy. So Nance has about 10 million in assets, just 10 million in assets, which is really small. Uh, and uh, the cruise ETF uh, has uh, 5 million in assets, so about half, but, but both are really small. Now, how long will the ETF uh, management companies uh, keep this open if the assets remain this low? Obviously, they closed down the long Jim Cramer one pretty quick within five months. But I remember one time you you told me that they, you know, you like to have the ETF over 15 million in assets. Is that still the cutoff? And, you know, when do they determine, hey, this isn't going to work. We're going to throw in the towel. Yeah. So over 50 million. And if an ETF has, is not able to gather over 50 million within a year of its launch, that means most likely it is not making money. And again, it really depends on the provider. If the provider has just two or three ETFs, then they will find it very difficult to keep those loss making products running for a bigger provider. Uh, which is making a lot of money on other products, it is much easier. They, they may keep some of the loss-making products running for, for a while uh, before deciding to close. Yeah, that makes sense uh, because, you know, they they can take the hit and, and wait a little while. Okay, so it's 50 million, not 15. And so that's a, that's a much higher level. Yeah, yeah. So these have, these have been around, uh, the two that we talked about just now. They have been around for a few months at least, and I really doubt whether they'll be get, able to get to 50 million within a year of their launch. It, it looks difficult uh, because, again, these are these are very difficult to, uh, as they, these are very difficult invest, implementable investment ideas tracking someone's portfolio. So what happens if you are in one of these that gets liquidated? What if I was in the long Jim Cramer and now they announce they're shutting it down? Do they just obviously close out all the positions and send me a check for whatever it's worth at that time? Or how does that work? Yeah, so you will get your money back, uh, whatever is the NAB of that particular ETF on the date of liquidation, you will get that money back. So it's just... Uh, uh, 
there may be tax consequences at times only if you that that particular etf had you know had made some money then there may be some tax consequences if it had, had not made any money then obviously there are no uh, tax consequences either but you just have to invest your money somewhere else uh, that is another headache if you were planning to keep in keep invested in that or uh, staying uh, invested in that product for a longer time now you have to think about investing somewhere else okay um i just want to put a side note one of our favorite recently launched etfs the meet kevin pricing power etf ticker pp is at 41.7 million in assets so it's hanging out right near that 50 million level but it only launched in november 2022 so it's got some time to still try to get closer to that 50 million but year to date and now i see it's up 43.5 percent there he is and i looked this up the the nasdaq is up only 31.5 percent so it's beating the nasdaq but the triple q's that etf is up 40 percent so it's it's still a little bit above even the triple q's but it does have that higher expense ratio than the triple q's so there's the holdings Right. So let's take a look at the holdings. Uh, so it has a very concentrated portfolio. Tesla accounts uh, for about 26% of the portfolio and NVIDIA is about uh, closer to 10%. To, uh, and then you see Enphase Energy about 14%. Yes, you get a very concentrated portfolio. And uh, I checked. So it is uh, slightly, very slightly outperforming the QQQ year to date. But since, since it has lagged the QQQ ETF. So, uh, so you get a very concentrated portfolio and uh, you pay a higher expense ratio. And do you really trust uh, this asset manager who doesn't have a lot of uh, a very long track record of managing assets or as an ETF provider. So do you really want to bet on that particular person who is uh, who has kind of been lucky with the with his Tesla selection? Uh, so yes, I think for most investors, it is better to stay with QQQ than try to bet on these products. So interestingly, uh, there was an article in Bloomberg recently that uh, only one mutual fund, no ETF, has consistently outperformed the Qs, the triple Qs, the QQQ ETF over 5, 10, and 15 years. And that is the Barron's partner fund. Uh, we all know Ron Barron, who is a big Tesla bull. So he had started, he's one of Tesla's biggest uh, investors, biggest shareholders too. So Tesla accounts for about 40% in that particular mutual fund. It is Baron, Baron Partners Fund. And then he has also invested in other Elon Musk companies. So mutual funds can actually invest in private equity too. So he has about 8% exposure to SpaceX and about, I think, 2% exposure to X, which was earlier Twitter. So if you are a big, you know, Elon Musk bull, then maybe take a look at that ETF, uh, sorry, that mutual fund, which has about 50% exposure to Elon, but Ron Merrin is an, he's an established uh, asset manager. He, this, this particular mutual fund that I'm talking about, that started in 1992. Uh, so very long track record and has about uh, 7 billion in assets. Do we know what the ticker is on that one? 
Uh, yes, sir. Let me show that to you. I think a lot of people aren't used to, you know, the mutual fund concept because ETFs are just so prevalent. They're like, oh, a mutual fund. What's that? Uh, but this was the thing we older people used to invest in for many decades before ETFs really started rolling out and made it easier to go over to the ETFs. But some of the mutual funds like this one have the long track record and have the the same asset manager over all that time. So let's take a look at the portfolio of this particular mutual fund. Uh, BBTIX, Parent Partners Fund, uh, has close to seven billion in assets. And if you look at the portfolio, which we were talking about, holdings, here are the holdings. So Tesla is 41% of the portfolio and SpaceX is about 9% of the portfolio. So you get a very concentrated portfolio. So you really have to believe in Musk, and then only you'll probably look at this particular mutual fund. And it is pricey. The expense ratio is about 1.4%, if I remember correctly. Wow. Okay. Yeah, all, all investors should be looking at expense ratios for sure. So I think for, uh, just I wanted to highlight because it is so difficult to beat uh, the major broader indexes for most investors. It, is, it makes much more sense to invest in either uh, um, S&P 500 ETF like WU or IBB with charge just two, three basis points. Uh, or if you, are, you have a slightly higher risk tolerance than QQQM, uh, which is the cheaper version of QQQ, just 15 basis points in uh, expense ratio, and you get exposure to all these uh, Magnificent Seven and all those growthy, innovative companies in one fund. Yeah, there's no reason to get fancy unless you really want to own the global music industry ETF. One of my personal <laughs> favorites yeah. that's on the unusual list, um, ticker MUSQ, it looks like. And I, I was curious to see what was in that one because I instantly thought, well, Sony has to be in there because they are so big on the music side. They're one of the biggest music publishers. But then I wasn't totally sure on who else would be in there. So um, it is kind of an interesting list, really. Yes. So let's take a look at this ETF. Um, so I'm sharing the screen here. And well, let's the top holding are pretty interesting. Sony is there, as you mentioned, but the top holding is Alphabet. Uh, more than 8% of the portfolio. Amazon is also about 8%. Apple is 7%. And then you have Sony, Roundhill, Music Royalty, and other, other you know, holdings. So yes, again, a very interesting concept. But would you pay this kind of expense ratio for this ETF? I do not know whether the, the, the gross expense ratio is 92 basis points, adjusted is 78 basis points. So this launched uh, just a few weeks back and has about, uh, about 10 million in assets. Uh, uh, I really do not know whether this is going to be successful. It's very difficult. But again, with these kind of uh, th themes, uh, if you want to invest in Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple, and a little bit of Sony, uh, maybe buy Sony separately and just invest in QQQ for the other holdings. <laughs> those, are my, right. those are my thoughts. Right. Yeah. Doesn't it become um, an issue with some of these uh, issuers? Like it, 
these big companies are in so many different areas and that we kind of don't even think about it. Cause I was trying to think, well, why is alphabet the biggest holding in there? But because they own YouTube, that might make sense because YouTube is huge on the music scene now. And so that's why they have to have it in there. But all of these big magnificent seven companies, or at least most of them are in so many different areas that everyone just ends up owning the magnificent seven and all of these ETFs. Yes. So yeah, you look at any theme and uh, you will most likely see some of these uh, stocks that may, you may already own in your S&P 500 index or the QQQ ETF. Uh, so with thematic ETFs, uh, if you believe in the theme, uh, th there are no pure place. If you look at cloud computing, then you see the the most uh, obvious players, again, there are also Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. If you look at AI, you will get NVIDIA, Microsoft, Google, and all other companies. So whenever you invest in a thematic ETF, make sure that you take a look at the holdings. And is that what, ex what you really want to invest in? Or it is just uh, some gimmicky name, but it is uh, kind of giving you exposure just to some of the largest companies in the world. Now, I see um, here on the video podcast, you've you brought up the screen for another favorite on the unusual list, which is the K-pop uh, ETF, which is K-pop and Korean entertainment. This could be a hot one for anybody who's a fan, right? I might want to own any kind of company that's involved in K-pop, but what, what are the companies in this one? I didn't look it up at all prior to this podcast. Yeah, so this ETF has been around for for many months now, and uh, this has uh, just about, if I remember correctly, about uh, oh, this has just three million in assets. So this, uh, I will not be surprised if uh, it uh, closes soon. Uh, though it is a very interesting, uh, you know, concept and uh, Korean uh, TV soap uh, opera. Uh, uh, TV shows and uh, as well as uh, some of those uh, music groups, they are so popular with the uh, with younger people. Uh, let's see where what it holds. Yeah, what's in this? Is this again like Sony? You know, Spotify. I would think it would have some of those on the music side. I, I'm curious to see if Netflix is in this because they make. Uh, they, they're spending $500 million on making a whole bunch of K-dramas because they're so popular now. So actually, you get a very different kind of exposure in this particular ETF. So the, all these holdings, I cannot even, I pronounce do them? not, the character, I, I cannot pronounce. These are companies. I, well, that's good. These are that's all Korean what, companies. Yeah. So, you, so the fund is actually doing what it is supposed to do. So it is not a hidden um, mega cap tech ETF with the name of, uh, uh, with a different name. And uh, you, you get exposure to all these companies. So uh, yeah, another point which I would like to add that one thing, one good thing about owning uh, uh, thematic ETFs, if you really be believe in that 
थीम फॉर एग्जाम्पल रोबोटिक्स ई टी एफ सो रोबोटिक्स ई टी एफ में होल्ड मेनी कंपनीज मेनी जापानीज रोबोटिक्स कंपनीज और साउथ कोरियन रोबोटिक कंपनीज बिकॉज रोबोटिक्स इज सच अ बेग थीम इन जापान जापान हजबिन पाइनियर इन द फील्ड ऑफ रोबोटिक्स सो इफ यू गो इफ यू वॉन्ट टू गो एंड बाय दोज जापानीज कंपनीज इट वुड बी वेरी डिफिकल्ट फॉर एनी यू नो रिटेल इन्वेस्टर बट इन in an etf you can get exposure to those uh, overseas global companies also that are leaders in that particular theme but always makes sense to take a look at the holdings so and make sure that uh, this is the kind of exposure that you want in that particular fund yeah that's a, that's excellent advice okay i think we've covered a lot of the interesting uh ones that are out there right now and we will be checking in to see how how long they last if they last the short kramer etf is still out there that one is still still going so you never know on some of these and i'm sure there'll be some more new ideas there always is and i I'm always a big fan of ETFs because they put out the great tickers. I mean, who can, I mean, how hard is it to remember K-pop? I mean, that, that is the ticker. Uh, so I await the next ideas and the next hot things. But meanwhile, uh, let's review some of these tickers again. Uh, they are easy to remember, but just in case you missed them the first time. So the unusual whale ETFs, the Democratic one and the Republican one are the Democratic one, N-A-N-C, like Nancy, N-A-N-C. The Republican one is Cruz, but with a K, K-R-U-Z. Then we mentioned just general ETFs that you could do of the indexes, the QQQ with the M at the M, M as in Mary is the cheaper one. And then we mentioned VOO and IVV are the S&P 500 ETFs. We mentioned uh, K-pop again right here at the end, K-P-O-P, that's easy. And the global music industry ETF is M-U-S-Q, also easy to remember. Uh, the Ron Barron Mutual Fund, if you're interested in checking that out, is B as in boy, P as in Paul, T as in Tom, I-X as an X-ray, B-P-T-I-X. And that's the one that's heavily invested in Elon Musk and it has that huge Tesla position. We also talked again about Meet Kevin ETF. He's a YouTube influencer. He's got like 1.3 million YouTube subscribers and now he has this ETF. And that ticker is just P as in Paul, P as in Paul, just two letters, P-P. And some of these, we mentioned the stocks inside, a lot of them were the Magnificent Seven, you know, uh, Alphabet, G-O-O-G-L, uh, Apple, A-A-P-L, obviously Tesla, T-S-L-A, and Sony. Sony was uh, in the music one, one of my personal favorites out of Japan, ticker S-O-N-Y for that one. So a lot of ideas there if you're interested in what's happening out there with the ETFs. As Nita mentioned, make sure you're going out there and checking them all out because you really need to know what they're holding because I was surprised at the K-pop. I was not expecting it to be all Korean companies. That's interesting to me because I don't know enough about them and I might not have as much access to them as Nina mentioned. So maybe I do want to own a K-pop ETF because I can't get that 
through like the QQQ or the VOO. So that's an interesting way to look at some of these ETFs. You might be able to invest in things you otherwise couldn't. So make sure you're clicking on those pages. You can, uh, you know, go to the websites of the ETFs themselves. They'll have the holdings there, the expense ratios, all that stuff and find out what's behind the curtain on some of these because maybe you know this is somewhere you want might want to park some money uh but otherwise uh we'll be back we'll be back always every week here with more stocks and etfs on the market edge and so until next time i'll see you then this material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.